The button has been pushed. So, all right, well, there's a lot going on in the world all around us. Now, Huh? I think it's a harbinger trying to tell us get ready. I am uh, of the, uh, my, my own mindset and opinion is that, you know, we have so relegated all this historical stuff to so historical, and I think there's going to there, there's gonna be a parallel to all of this stuff, you know, to, you know, what happened way back then versus what's happening today, but we'll see. And, um... So anyway, I think that um, last week, you know, I, I said, you know, find the bridge. I think I was trying to put that in y'all's mind. And, 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 and primarily because of the fact that, you know, we, we have this Passover feast and it's seven days, but then they have this counting of these days. And actually there is no specific date for the next festival but yet it's a pilgrim festival. Y'all realize that you've been you know, a Passover, uh, Shavuot or Pentecost is the second pilgrim festival with the last one being the Feast of Tabernacle. So it's a major part of, uh, of everything too. And yet it's kind of a lot more mysterious than some of the other things. The other things in Passover, we can see, you know, they're uh, in servitude, they're in slavery, they're they're crying out, you know, and uh, you got all these things happening, and you can see how it all unfolds, and you know, and they're set free, and you can see that redemption by God uh, as He brings them out. But then we go in toward this other festival, and it seems to be kind of changing in a sense of, um, you know, they're uh, counting these days, not even counting just days; they're counting the Omer, which is a measure. You know, an omer is basically one-tenth of an ephod, and I don't know what an ephod amount is. So all I know is an omer is one-tenth of it. So so it's a grain measurement, really. It has to deal with grains and so forth and so on. So um, I'm going to now just kind of say, uh, uh, does anybody have anything when, you know, and John texts me, <laughs> and it's about, I'm not saying maybe there's more than one bridge. <laughs> And there may be more than one. I'm sure there's many themes, but, um, you know, I was looking for something in Pacific, um, and we really hadn't got into the the idea of, you know, we spoke briefly of it about seven times seven plus one, and we easily see that being the counting of the days of seven complete Sabbaths, so seven times seven, and then the next day, being declared or proclaimed, you know, the festival of Shavuot, which really, it does. It, what it means is weeks. You know, the word in Hebrew Shavuot means weeks, and so you know you can see that connection real easy because of the fact that, you know, there's seven weeks that we're going to count, and uh, so, but that actually is translated, you know to be the festival of weeks. Well, that's easy to see, because we got how? We got seven right weeks that we're gonna count. Right? And then then we said, well, where else have we seen this before? And we said, I think he said. Jubilee. The Jubilee. 
but and, and I I guess I'm stuck with giving y'all this word because you may hear it. The Yovel, which is the Jubilee, right? Right. And so, and there's a reason we, we say that. But you know, the Jubilee, and what what do we how do we make up the Jubilee? How do we do how is it related to this idea? Well, it's gonna start though with seven days to me. You have to have the seven days is when he the Sabbath is the seventh day where he completed the creation of the earth, so seven, and then it went to seven weeks, and the, the seven weeks um, went to the seven times seven, and <laughs> the Jubilee, and I mean, it's just seven is... Years. Seven is their, um, the number, is, the most powerful number in Judaism is what I read. Well, it's seven years times seven years is 49 years mm -hmm. plus one, mm -hmm. and that's the year of the Yovel, right? So right. there you have that same little uh, formula. Well, one's dealing really in, starts out as, uh, you know, it starts out with counting seven days, you know, for a one week, and that's why I tell you, when you look at the Hebrew or the Greek over there, and it says that, and she came to um, on the first day of the week, it it, it 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 throws you to thinking like that, but it actually is the word sabbaton. So, it, is it actually saying that she came to the tomb on the first of the seven? Weeks are the seven Sabbaths because you're told to count seven Sabbaths. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that changes everything. You know, you're looking at something traditionally that has been interpreted the way it is, but, you know, when you kind of get your uh, uh, inner viewed to something that changes it, it's like, well, wait a second, because we just kind of, on, we're on autopilot and everything. You know, we just don't question nothing, you know? And, uh... Well, what, that could... But if you're supposed to start counting the day after the Sabbath <laughs> and count off seven full weeks, then that's... Or seven full Sabbaths, you'd have eight Sabbaths there, then. Would you know? Well, no, because what if she came to the tomb on the first of the Sabbath, the first Sabbath of the seven Sabbaths. Well, that would be a week later. And see, and actually, that's what we were saying, that the 16th was actually a Friday. And um, from a Pharisee's perspective, you're to begin to count that tomorrow after the Sabbath, you're to bring the wave offering and then begin to count. Right, did we ever figure out when the wave offering? What's that? Yeah. So, so you know, we're not yeah. gonna, we're not. I, I know that's something that I, that's good that you quit because that's got to be worked out. It's just confusing. Yeah, it is. It's, I mean, but, but, but there are things in there that you know that are there that you cannot deny that they're there. You know, and, and sometimes we like to do this. Because I can see both of them. Well, I can't understand that. I spent a bit of time this week trying to figure it out. Huh? I said I. I spent You're still a, working on a it, huh? Day working, and well, I still am confused. 
You know, the, the thing that we want to look at now is the fact that there is a, you, you, have, you have Passover, and we know that Passover is really going to be, in a sense of the word, the first redemption, okay? And there's going to be a final redemption. Now, I believe what you're going to see is you're going to see how all this, this final redemption is going to start to have a flavor of the first redemption. In other words, when we think about the first redemption, who's the bad guy? Pharaoh, right? And, you know, and, and you can, again, he's the master in the sense of the word. And you go in the Bible and you can take this word for Pharaoh and you can eventually show that Pharaoh is going to be symbolic or uh, a, of, of the false messiah. You know, he's going to end up being the one. He's the serpent in the sea. And, you, you know, and there are verses in Isaiah, I think, and I'm just shooting from the hip here, but I think one of them is Isaiah 37. I get in trouble when I start trying to think I remember. I may be wrong. Yeah, I am. Okay, 27. You know, when you, Isaiah 27, in that day, what day? The day of the Lord. And when, like I keep saying, that phrase is all seen by the rabbinical rabbis for centuries as dealing at a time when the Messiah will come, right? It says, the Lord will punish with the sword, with his sword, his fierce and great and powerful sword, Leviton. Well, who is Leviton? Yeah, he's the, the word Leviton just means the twisted serpent or the coiling serpent. He's the one that is seen as the great monster in the sea. And in Revelations we see and we look and a seven-headed monster rose up out of the sea. And see, without a knowledge of Leviton, it doesn't really connect you to anything. But all of that has its own stories that go with that that we're not necessarily getting, but he will slay the monster of the sea and uh, in that day. And then there is another reference to that. Let me see if uh, I can... Uh, was hoping that maybe my mother had her own note that would it it basically deals with connecting Levy Tom and uh the monster you know with Pharaoh but we're not going to get on a long uh rabbit tail trail there but what we want to see is that Pharaoh is going to be representative of the false messiah and he's going to be what Pharaoh was a deity in the eyes of the people and he was basically God incarnate from an Egyptian perspective, okay? And the false messiah is going to uh, declare that he is God. Now, I say, I always say this, that we hear that and we think the Father, but I think that is interpreted that he is Elohim. He is uh, God's 
uh, chosen vessel. And really that's what he becomes. The false Messiah, you know, is filled with the spirit of the uh, uh, of, of Antichrist, or not the Antichrist, but of Satan, and, uh, and he basically takes on to that role and he has great power given unto him, right? So in the last days, you're going to see this actually being symbolic of what's going to happen with the false messiah. So it shouldn't be too stretch of the imagination to try to look for the similarities in some of this stuff, okay? Sir, may I help you? I'm just checking on security, make sure everything's okay. okay. The guy that the mask and the gun went this way. <laughs> oh, he just had a mask on because of the virus. <laughs> So, so anyway, you know, when we look at that, then, you know, of course, you're going to get into this story of, of what happened here. There's going to be a lot of similarities. Hey, is that thing magnetic? Yes, it was. Um, Leads to the races. Yeah, better than that other one I had. But, um, so... When we look at this, you know, you, you see that in the first redemption, you see this actual, there, there, there's, what do we have here? We have what? The slaves, right? And we have the fact that they're uh, oppressed in a sense of the word. You know, they're crying out, you know, that, you know, what are you going to do to, you know, we can't keep doing this. You know, they're really mad at Moses, really. But you have all of these things. And this is all going to be parallel to our redemption. When we came to Christ, you know, what, uh, Paul tells us we were slaves to what? Sin. Sin, right? And now we're slaves to what? Right. Righteousness, right? right? And so you see that same thing developing here. You see that they were slaves to Pharaoh, but now they're going to be so-called set free but are they really set free to themselves? Or are they on a journey, you know, headed to, in a sense, of this place that they're counting toward? And now they're going to be slaves to what? They're going to be slaves, or you can say that, but as Paul says, slaves to right. God's going to become their master. But he just doesn't, he just doesn't come up and say, you know, uh, okay, you're free to go. Everybody just have a good time. <laughs> Where are you going? You know? He gives them what? Commandments. You know, they were under a certain level of commandments over here. But what were, the, what were their commandments over here? Under Pharaoh, huh? Yeah. I got cities to build. I got pyramids to build. You know, you, you, you got to make these right. You got to keep up your tally and do your thing, right? You know, so when they're set free and they come out of here, we're so negative toward the law. We see this as a bad thing, you know, from a Christian perspective in, the, in these modern ages. But in reality, we, we, we're just hypocrites because we know we can't even live by, uh, without laws in our own homes. <laughs> you, know, you move again, you're in trouble. <laughs> you know, I mean, without laws, you got chaos. So it's not a bad thing. But see, we get into this, oh, you're... You know, salvation uh, is not by works, and, uh, and and we all agree with that because right, uh, salvation comes a, a righteousness apart from the law. You know, the beauty of what God has done is that He's given us a way to come in without having to measure ourselves to this body of laws and commandment, 
but it doesn't mean that we're not supposed to, you know, take those body of laws and commandments and try to embrace them because, see, we now say when we, we, when we all come down that aisle and they all want everybody to come on down, give your life to Christ, you're really saying, I'm going to become a slave to God rather than a slave to the world. We want to, we want to interpret it more of you're free. And you're really not free. You're free when it comes to the concept of the spiritual concept of, of, of having to keep a set of rules to be found free. But you're not free. You're free to actually live a righteous life and to try to, you know, incorporate that into your life. I don't know how people, well, I do know how they do it. It's just if it's not there, they don't know it. <laughs> you know, if you never know any of this stuff, it. That's why it's better. It's almost like, don't tell them. If you don't tell them, there won't be a problem. They don't know what they don't know. And yet you start learning, and then as one set person said, well, once I read the Bible, I realized that we weren't even following it. <laughs> That's kind of like, well, really, really? You know, cause, and it's all summed up, you know, in the fact that you're, you know, that you're, you're, you're free from the law. You don't have to worry about it anymore. You know, he fulfilled all that, you know. And yet... It's all coming back into fullness. It's in front of us rather than behind us. It's actually in front of us. And, uh, and those are disturbing things for people that it, they don't want. Well, you know, I, I talk to quite a few people, and when I do, they, they always, I always pick up one thing. They always feel like you always hear this like, well, uh, oh, I've tried it. I got a lot of good things I've done. You know, you know, you know, when you talk about, you know, you'll say, well, you know, this, this is, I know you're not making any money on this deal, you know, but, you know, one day when you stand before the Lord, there'll be, you know, the, the good works will be counted, you know, and it, yeah, I try to make, you know, and you get this sense that they still have this mindset that the works are, is the process for their relationship. Well, I have to do these good work and then he'll love me. It's not that he loves you and we do the good works because we love him and he loves us. It, 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 it's all a matter of how you perceive it in your mind, you know. But, uh, you know, that's it, just, you know, part of the Christian, you know, I guess uh, upbringing that we're, we're all subject to. So let's don't lose our sight of our deal. So we got this, this concept here. So... You know, Leviticus 23, if you go over to Leviticus 23 to verse 15, you know, we, we get this counting of the days, okay? And let's go over there and read this. And it says, from the day after the Sabbath... The day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, the count off seven full weeks, seven complete weeks. There goes the controversy, you know. What Sabbath? What does it mean? Seven full weeks. When does it count start? Does it count on, you know, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, all of the but yet if you take their rendition of when they count it, if they do and they they do count it after the Sabbath of the festival. So the 16th is always the day they begin to count. That's the day they would have 
gone out, prepared it, and offered, you know, the wave offering, and then they'd begin to kill based on what how they interpreted it. Well, you know, we'll find out one day, like the Samaritan woman said. Count all 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. Okay, so what you see there, they're going to count off the date and then they're going to come in here and they're going to offer uh, a new grain offering, a wave offering, you know, and this one's, guys, we said last week's going to be the wheat. Okay, the one back here was the barley. You know, that, that was offered up here right at Passover. So, when they come up to the seven, for the seventh, I mean, the second festival, you know, the Feast of Weeks, they're going to have what? They're going to bring baskets, and there's going to be, within those baskets, there's going to be, uh, I can spell it right, seven species, or seven particular things. Two grains and five fruits. <laughs> we want to we be on the fruits. <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, should turn that off. But anyway, this is actually called the Bikarim. You know, and so what they're going to do, th this in itself, I want you to see the picture that takes place here. Huh. Oh, it is magnetic. I don't even have to worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> Where is it? It's right there. Um, you know, what they would do, you know, in, in, in Jerusalem, they would come out, what, you know, how, let me, let me back up. The way this actually takes place when they came out, this was a celebration, right? And when they would come up, they would come to the Levitical city. How many Levitical cities are there? 24. How many courses of priests? 24. They would all come to these Levitical cities from their area, and they would meet and gather, and then they would all come together, and they would come up to Jerusalem, and they would have these baskets filled with these first fruits. All these first fruits. And what are the first fruits? And where do you get them from? Huh? Deuteronomy 8 8. Go there and read, get over there and, and name them for me. And they would take and they put these into the basket, and these were what the people themselves would bring up and and basically hand to the priest and hand to the Lord, but to be offered before the Lord. This is part of what you would really see in all of Shavuot being a, in a sense, you would say the beginning 
of a harvest festival. Okay? And I know these are crazy things, but, you know, all of these, these fruits are specific. You know, that's why I say, you know, the, I'm always fascinated by the pomegranate because the pomegranate is a, it, first of all, this, this is gonna, these are going to be in your fall. This is uh, toward the latter part going into the fall. This is when this stuff is going to come to actually fruition and ripened. You know, my question is, is how did they get what they got when they brought it up then? But they, this is what was in their baskets, okay? And so, um, you know, when, when you see this, you see that this is the beginning of the harvest festival. And, and this is what, you're, you're seeing this agriculturally, but this is all about spiritual souls. When, when, did, when did the harvest begin? In Acts 2, that's when the Holy Spirit descended back upon mankind and they were filled with the Spirit, and that's when it all began. And so we can look at this so-called array of rules and laws and things and what they're doing, but it actually has an overlay for a spiritual of soul. That's why Jesus said, look, the fields are ripe for harvest, but the workers are few, you know, there, people are out here to, to, to hear the word, but there's nobody you know, desires to work in the fields, basically. And so, but, but you, you, don't, you get to Acts 2 in the Bible, and it says that the day of Pentecost fully, had fully come, and then all this happens, which is a major event. <laughs> but you see it right there, but I don't know if you get the, you know, how, you know, how it's all being brought together. So, that being the case, let me have that thing up there. Um, we want to try to um, take and look at it from the perspective of what connects it then, what connects it to the final harvest, okay? So, actually, if I could take this and push this over here, but I won't, I'll just put it down here. You know, this is the summer, technically, the beginning, but we end up here in the fall. And the fall festivals are what? Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and then the Feast of Tabernacle, right? And the Feast of Tabernacle is going to be the third pilgrim festival. So Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are kind of like, they're the playoffs. Guess from a football analogy, you know, it, it's the event leading up to the main event. Because the main event of the fall is going to be the Feast of Tabernacle, and that's why it's another pilgrim festival. You know, it's like you know, you don't need to miss this. You don't need to miss the Passover, and you don't need to miss this, and you don't need to miss this because if you're not there, something's wrong, right? So, yeah. You said something? Rosh Hashanah. Huh? Rosh Hashanah then, how are you going to connect this, you know, to this? That was the way I left you with, the bridge. Scripturally, 
how do you connect it? Because really it doesn't matter what we say, right? Okay, so when we look at Leviticus 23, and we're looking at all of this instructions on these festivals, and, what, you know, I, I know y'all probably don't know much about what I'm fixing to tell you, but believe it or not, there are those that believe that there's no way Moses wrote these books. <laughs> Have you ever heard that, right? But there, they and some of you can go online at biblicalarchaeology.org and you can read about some of the things that they've uncovered and some of the datings that you, I, I think you were mentioning that there were, uh, there actually a uh, a jubilee or a veil calendar, and uh, there is a um, oh the other calendar uh, the Shemitah. Where all you know what is the Shemitah? Anybody, everybody know? Seven uh, uh, years, and then the seventh year is a Shemitah. It's a it's a it's a rest. I got this one. Yeah, the mystery, right? right. And so you're going to see this same pattern right here. But the, but my point in telling you this is that they have gone back with some of the things they've uncovered. And one of the things that has been really intriguing to them is the dating of everything. And they're, they're looking back at the number of jubilees, and it's based on, if you turn over, I'll, I'll show you real quickly it, in 1 Kings uh, chapter 6. These are just little sidetracks to keep us in uh, suspense, right? <laughs> Notice what it says there. What's it say? It came to pass in the 480th year. Yeah, 480 years from what? After the children of Israel were come out of the land of Egypt. Okay, see, out of Egypt. Right? And, and and you see, part of their thing is, how in the world could Moses coordinate all of these events? You know, it had to be by different authors, and especially the book of Leviticus. <laughs> okay? They, they were questioning that, it, you know, that that had to be really done by somebody else rather than Moses, Right? But when they got to looking at some of these things they, they uncovered and everything, and the fact that this reference goes back to 480 years to the time, and then you turn over, and I want you to see something else. If you turn over to Ezekiel in chapter 40, which is a very important chapter, in the scheme of things. Because, see, they have Babylonian, Babylonian chronicles. They have other measurements of time that are out there. It's not just the biblical record. And they're all seeming to point to the same conclusion. And that is that it says here, in the 25th year of the exile... 
at the beginning of the year on the 10th of the month and the 14th year after the fall of the city. On that very day, the hand of the Lord was upon me and took me there in visions of God. He took me into the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain and so on, right? So when, what, what was, let's read that first part again. What, what does it say? In the five and twentieth year of our captivity. And they can, they, can, they can denote that in other sources. In the beginning of the year. Okay, the beginning of the year. In the tenth ah, day of the month. On the tenth day of the month. Pacific time, right? Yes. Okay. How do you translate that? We're doing our calendar deal, right? <laughs> right? And see, you're right. I have it written down. But you're wrong. And I may have told you wrong. But if you, if you go and you look at that right there, guess what that actually in the Hebrew says? Well, it said Rosh Hashanah, uh -huh. you know, and see, Rosh Hashanah is Tishrei, is Tishrei 1, right. and it begins the year, but as I've said before, there's a couple places in the Bible where it talks about in the beginning of the year it's attached to the end of a phrase, I think it's in Hosea where it says, or in one of the versions, where it talks about it being the, uh, I will give you the former range and the latter range in the first month. Well, how can that be? Because the former and latter range are, are spring and, and uh, fall uh, rains. They're six months apart. But it uses the phrase in the first month. That's because they're both the beginning of the year just depends on what calendar civil calendar that's why when you go to the TV and it's on TV it says happy new year on Rosh Hashanah that's what they're putting on the TV right Exodus 12 tells us that you know from that time forward the beginning of the year this will be your Ben will be Nisan one but in this particular case it says in the, uh, the beginning of the year and it denotes the tenth day of the month. What what Pacific? You got to start the translation process. What if that, if this is Tishrei, right? Then what is that date? Huh? Yeah. It's Yom Kippur. Yeah. Okay. Well, if they were using a jubilee cycle, a calendar cycle, then. What's that have to do with that? Well, this is the bridge. That's the bridge right there. And that's in Leviticus 25 because, see, you're going to turn back up Leviticus 25. And you're going to see, and this is all in the same closeness of Scripture and it's when it's given. So, you know, it's almost like, you know, you come to the, these pilgrim festivals and all these things, you know, you've got, um, you know, these different little things, and you get into the Sabbath year, and then you get into the year of Jubilee in chapter 25, 
And it tells you here in chapter 25, count all, you know, here's the thing. It's going to be a parallel language in Hebrew. Count off seven Sabbaths of years, seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbaths of years amounts to a period of 49 years. And so right there we could see, well, gee, this is exactly what they were saying in Shavuot, right? With coming out of Egypt. Uh, uh, Verse 8, John. Uh, Then have the trumpet. Now, I don't have my, I could look it up here, and I probably won't. I think I'll upset this if I do that, I think. But I'm pretty sure that when you you look at that um, 25, where was that, 9? Nice. Nine. You were in 8, 9 says. Trumpets 9. Yeah, the trumpet. The shofar of, well, how, how they have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the 10th day. So, see, my, in the King James, you know, it's the Torah, you know, uh, the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the 10th day of the 7th month. So there is a trumpet declaration when you come, if they were keeping, if they were keeping the Jubilee like they were supposed to, right, then they would have counted off the years and they would have they would have gotten to the point when they got to the 50th year then they would have gone throughout the land proclaiming the year of jubilee on Yom Kippur so they believe that Ezekiel's vision of the last temple is given on a jubilee year because of the timing of how all of this is played and the cycle and they take it back to this and these other calendar dates that they seem as if though they're actually keeping up this with the calendar year through the jubilees 50 year cycles you know and of course we've been getting a little bit of that from Rabbi Khan, you know, about the Jubilee and so forth and so on. And we're all in like, you know, what about the Jubilee? Now, I will go back and say that I know there's without a doubt a, 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 a linkage to Luke 4. When Jesus goes and he stands up and he says, you know, today in your hearing, these scriptures are fulfilled and he quotes from uh, Isaiah 61, and what's he, what is the language that he used? He proclaims what? Liberty. Liberty. Well, that's, that's what they're proclaiming here. Verse 10. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, uh, yeah, verse 10. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty Throughout the land to all its inhabitants, it shall be a jubilee for you. Each one of you is to return to his family property and each to his own clan. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow, do not reap what grows of itself, or harvest the untended vine, for it is a jubilee and is to be holy for you. 
eat only what is taken directly from the field. And this year of Jubilee, everyone is to return to his own property. Now, we're going to get into more of that because there's a lot there. And it's really, 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 I think, neat. But if I had to ask y'all, besides the reading of those scriptures, what one book stands out in scripture from a Jewish perspective that they would read on Shavuot in the, from the Bible, what would it be? They have that, you know, I always say, Jews don't read willy-nilly. They read a pattern and a specific, everything's done at a specific time. And boy, is it exciting in these days because I believe all these things that they're reading today at these specific times have meaning today at this time, you know. But they read the book of Ruth. And the book of Ruth is a weird story, a lot of ways, you know. It's kind of like a rags to riches or... You know, she's a faithful uh, daughter-in-law, you know. They had two sons, and they uh, uh, married. Uh, went and these are Moabite w- women. I think her other sister's name was Orpha and, and, and Ruth. And then, you know, when they had famine and their husbands had died, both Amalek, which was Naomi's uh, uh, husband, and then both their husbands died, they kind of like, what are we going to do? We're just three women out here. Well, Orpha goes back to Moab, and Ruth says, I'm going to go with you where your God is my God. And she's attaching herself to the house of Israel. This is all about what you're seeing happening with the Gentiles coming in. You know, they're attaching themselves to the house of Israel. And when people are saying, you know, oh, we're not, Israel's dead. No, we're attaching ourselves to the house. This story really is about us, you know, and so... When, when you look at that, they come back, and the only thing that they actually have is a piece of property that was in their, in their, in their uh, family. And she comes back, but they're basically poor. And so what is, what is Ruth doing man? You're, you're, you're in the story? She goes out, and what is the actual law of the same as the Jubilee? But in the sabbatical year, you know, part of the law is you're to, you know, uh, when you, uh, every year, you're never to harvest the corners. So the owner leaves the corners of the field for the poor. But in a sabbatical year or a jubilee year, all of this whole crop is actually available to everybody. You know, it's a really kind of an interesting concept so you know you get into the story and what she's she's down there and then he's down there and he's threshing the grain and she sends him down there and he you know we we you know the story goes that uh he uh ends up uh you know some would say that she she prophesies uh uh proper what am i trying to say uh, yeah, pro- what proposition proposition <laughs> Pro- propositions him and and you get this strange language of he takes his garment and, and, and puts over the wing of his garment over her, you know. And, of course, there's a whole story that, that goes with that. And, you know, the end of the story is that they get married and they become one. And then, of course, David comes from their loins. Now, this whole story is all going back, actually, to Abraham. 
Because, you know, we, we don't learn this stuff, but this Leverite marriage is all taking place right here. But if you go back to Abraham, Abraham also possibly is involved in a Leverite marriage with Sarah. And we go, well, we don't know nothing about that. Okay. It's worthy of knowing because it's really about the whole religious story that's going through here, you know, and what God is doing. So back to Luke 4, I, I tell you, I said that it could be a jubilee year. And so you can get out your calculator. And it could be, I have to, I have to correct at least this possibility. He could have done this on a sabbatical year. And why is that? Because if you back up, you can read it for yourself right there. You know, it is in the Sabbath year, it says verse 25. Um, Um, the um, uh, uh, Leviticus. Okay. Um, it may not be given right here. Uh, that which that groweth of its own, the cord of thy harvest, thou shalt not reap. Well, actually, there's a uh, there is a another place. I just got to find it um, where it's going to. Um, Well, no, because that would be in the Jubilee year unless it says it. If you only there. The first part of the chapter talks about the seven years, the sixth and then the seventh year. Well, part of the sabbatical year, and I'll have to seek that out for you, is, is that... And the sabbatical year, it's the year of also where you are to uh, the, I, I do believe the uh, Hebrew slaves are set free on a sabbatical year, okay? So maybe he's actually doing what he's saying on, on a sabbatical year. I got to throw that in there because it's a possibility that it wasn't the actual jubilee year, but it was a sabbatical year that he began his ministry. I, I can't. The seventh year. Huh? Seventh year. Yeah, the seventh the year of the cycle. That's correct. I just want to straighten that out because, I mean, it's still in my mind. I'd love to think it was actually a jubilee year, but then again, it, 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 and maybe it was. I'm not saying it wasn't, but it's a possibility that, because we're going to see that later on too here. So anyway, um, when we go back to this idea here, you know, being connected to Yom Kippur, the Yovel, the sounding of the shofar is going to be sounded on Yom Kippur. So we've been teaching for quite a while now that when you put the actual uh, last seven years of what we call tribulation, you know, up on, on the scale. You know, we say it starts with the Yom Kippur, and that would mean if it's seven years, it what? It ends with a Yom Kippur, right? And we, we made the difference because so many people want to look at this show, uh, this uh, great shofar that's blown on this day. It's the last trump. 
And it's not. That, that trump there is related to this. The Yovel. You know, the great shofar. It sounded it, on a Yom Kippur. And so, you know, we believe that the last trump occurs on Rosh Hashanah. But, you know, they, the language, the last trump. <laughs> well, that's the last trump. What's so hard about it? It's a name. You know, it's like the first trump and the second trump. And we went to, you know, the Akedah back in Genesis where there's two horns, and those are the first trump. The first trump, they believe, was blown at Mount Sinai, right, the shofar, and the last trump will be blown at Rosh Hashanah, but the great shofar and the closing of the gates is blown on Yom Kippur, which is related to the Yovel. So which Rosh Hashanah? Right. So, so we got these periods of time where this is Tishrei one and two, and then you have these days in between till you get to the tenth. And of course, we see it as the on on that uh, the events that occur in that little period of time are major. But what are the major events? Well, if we're right, the resurrection of the dead. You know. And the sound of the trumpet is the dead in Christ rising, and those who are left are caught up to meet him in the air, which, you know, like I say, I believe it's scriptural, you know. There are most, a lot of people think that just, uh, and a lot of, you know, you probably know this too, they just think that's just false doctrine. Your false hope, false everything. You know, even to the point they'll say it's wrong for people to say, Oh, well, I'm not worried about it because I'm not going to be here. <laughs> you heard that before? <laughs> well, it's not my problem because we're not going to be here. Well, it is our problem, but that's not the purpose. The purpose is the fact that I've always said is the fact that God has not appointed us to wrath, but he's also bringing us to the heavenly Jerusalem uh, for the purpose of the coronation of the king and the great ceremonies as, as this whole thing is happening on earth. You know, the, the righteous are removed. Now, this is where <laughs> uh, Lucille and, and, and we disagree. She sees us going through this period of time and that God's going to supernaturally protect us. Well, I always thought, well, if I'm right, he's not going to protect us long unless I get my passport because I think the America is going to be destroyed in the very beginning period of this little time and that destruction of America is going to set the table for the Antichrist to come to power. There's not going to be, when they look at the smoke of her burning, there's not going to be, where's America? Where's the great military arm of the world? Well, they've been taken out of the game. You know, they, they bound the strong man. Now, I, I'm going to tell y'all, and I, I sincerely mean this, if we're that close, when you talk about when you talk about these things and you say where am I hearing it from the mountaintop we're not hearing it I mean there are a lot of people that are what I call religiously bent and they're they're reading these books and you know they, their minds open to the fact that there's a lot of connections to all this but the average situation is they're not being you know told to pack your bags and get ready 
You know, and, and I mean, because most people don't know how to deal in that world. It gives them anxiety. You know, that like, we don't want to make, we're not going to be able to finish that wing on the church building if we start talking. You know, you know, there's so many reasons. I hate to say it, but you, they, if, if, if this is true, <laughs> Robert, that one hit right home to Robert. You know, I know that one. But, uh, <laughs> you know, if you're not building, you're going, right, Robert? <laughs> So, so, but the thing is, is that, you know, there's so many things happening today that are like, you know, not, not been before. Just a little side note to, to emphasize your point. I had a conversation with my granddaughter. Why didn't you call me and tell me to go fill my car up? I didn't know we were running out of gas. I said, well, I didn't think about it, Natalie, to call you. I want you to call me. When something like this happens where I can get prepared, because this gives me an anxiety attack. <laughs> so I That's said, right. well, what do you want me to call you about? I said, they're, they're, bombing. they're shooting rockets over at Israel back and forth. <laughs> Iran's swooping in on our boats. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're stirring the waters over there. They, they said one of them came within 150 yards. That's just too close. They should have blown that sucker out of the water. <laughs> Amen. They should cut loose, but we don't. We're weakened. But anyway, and she, I don't want to know what they so now. She's told her mother on me. He just <laughs> upset me, telling me all this stuff. I said, well, what do you want me to tell you? I said, just know God's got control. It's in his hands. He's going to see us through. Don't get anxious at this moment, but watch for the signs of the times. Right. That just a little side. That that's right. Exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I mean, you know, and to me, I mean, I know that, you know, well, uh, I, I'll say this, and, and, and maybe I'm being jazzed up, but, you know, um, um, I have um, for probably 30 years, I mean, my life was changed primarily from the, from the beginning point when I began to realize that these appointed times were actually not ancient history lessons, they were actually gonna be prototypes and, 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 and patterns for future events. And that on future, even in, when you look back in history past the Bible, things happened on these days that were significant in world history, but you never hear about that. You know, you just uh, gotta read well. You know, guys like that, and even Grant Jeffries, others began to bring. Well, there was a little uh, 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 Joseph Good, Joe Good. Well, like, he got a good name. Joe Good, you know, was the guy that. You know, I said when I was uh, been praying a lot. I didn't know where I was going. I just know I needed to change. I, you know, I, I just I, I just was under a lot of uh, pressure for. From a from a what a, I would say a salvation issue of of uh, I always tell people that you know uh, I had this kind of thought about in my mind that standing before Jesus and looking at Him and always now can look to the future and let the Passion of Christ you know as they di- uh, depicted Him as being pretty much beat to a pulp you know in the Passion of Christ <laughs> more so than any other movie in the past. And that's what he looked like. And, and he asked me, what do you know about my father? 
Well, uh, who? <laughs> you know, I felt like that. Because I really, you know, we all say, well, I know Jesus, but what do you know about my father, right? And so I we had been uh, doing a lot of just soul searching, and, and I said, uh, you know, Lord, uh, I, I don't know how, I, I know you probably heard this a thousand times, you know, I talked real honest with him, and uh, but I want to, you know, spend the rest of my life getting to know you, and and. I was laying in bed. We had told her home. We're in an apartment. I'm looking at air. You know, this is the old days, right? And I'm watching TV, and I'm clicking through the TV, and I came across TBN. I don't give them any promotion, but, you know, they were uh, on at that time, you know, at, at 10 or 30. And, and, and Joe Good was uh, on there, and he was, he had, uh, you know, the guy had a little beanie cap on his head, and he had he was talking about the festivals. Well, I just finished that book by Grant Jeffries on a, a Armageddon appointment with Destiny that was doing all these parallels and what are the odds of some of these things happening? It was astronomical. You know, when you get down to the odds of these things happening to the day, the hour, and the second. And he was talking about how this and he wrote the book Rosh Hashanah and the Messianic Kingdom to Come. And I kind of perked up. And I started listening to him, and it was like, you know, you need to hear this. I got up out of my bed, and I actually called TBN and ordered his book. I got in to work the next day, and my brother, who'd been traveling side by side with me along the way, he doesn't watch Christian TV either, but that night he did, and he saw the same program. He came in the door, and he said, he said, uh, you won't believe what I saw on TV last night. And I said, what? And he goes, I saw a guy talking about the festivals on uh, like TVN or that, you know. And I said, well, I saw him too. And he says, you're kidding. I said, no. And Bud said, he wrote a book. And I said, yeah, I ordered it. And he says, you're kidding me. And I said, no, I didn't. And we got that book. And from that day, you know, we began uh, at, at that day and age, uh, you know, $30 a month meant a lot to me, and I'll put that there for you to know that. I signed up for his Havarah, which was his Bible study, just like we're doing. They taped it on cassettes. And uh, you generally got about eight tapes, you know, to, to a session like like this. And, you know, you know, I just, it was like I, I was hearing him, and I, I was having... You know, I was learning. You know, I was like, I, I was really learning something for the first time ever. And I, I realized that, well, you can learn something in the Bible if you know how to, you know, begin to hear. And, of course, I was struggling. You know, he's saying stuff like Yochanan. Uh, what's that? <laughs> oh, that's John in Hebrew. And you had that language barrier. He, tr he tried to speak both ways. Like I say, Yovel, Jubilee. You know, if you hear it enough, you know it, Right. Very difficult for somebody to get over that hurdle. They, I just can't follow him. We have one guy that, you know, I just, I just can't follow him. And anyway, so anyway, you know, instrumental in me and my journey was that man right there. Me and Bud uh, got in a car <laughs> and we went to Port Arthur, Texas because he was having a his, one of his uh, um, uh, festival uh, conferences in Port Arthur, and we said, we're going. 
And uh, I'll never forget that night when we drove across that bridge into Port Arthur. We got to this spot, and I mean, it was it was like driving rain. And I mean, we're in that little Mazda truck of mine, and we were looking going over into Port Arthur. There's this little two-lane bridge, and we're like, you know, headed up. You know, like we're so close, and we get close to the top, and here comes. Yeah, you, you, you turn away, the, uh, when, uh, when, the, when Israel began to turn away from God, you know, if you go, and, and, and I'll just give you interesting t- parallel. Who was the last king of Judah, do you know? No, you don't know. But Zedekiah was the last king of Judah, okay? And his fall, and what, was, what he did is... The Babylonians were coming, and they were going down. And, you know, they knew they were going down because of the fortified cities of Lachish and Akeda that were, you know, falling. And once they fall, there's nothing left, all right, except the walls of Jerusalem. And so when they get there, you know, uh, you've got this struggle between Jeremiah and them about, you know, he's telling them to just give up. If you want to live, give up. Surrender. And that the other would say, no, we're, God will deliver us. You heard that? And um, so in doing so, they threw him in a cistern to shut him up. They didn't want him saying nothing else. And, and so in the doing so, it must have been a sabbatical year because he made part of the covenant of God to proclaim liberty to set the Hebrew slaves free. And he went in, and the people agreed they're going to set the Hebrew male and female slaves free. Now, you got to understand the system. You know, people get point. They, they can place themselves in servitude, you know, and that's just part of their economic system. It's not like they were, you know, type... They were just property of the person that owned them because they sold themselves, you know. And, and, and yet, he got them, in a sense, to do that. And then they reneged on it, and they went and put them back in bondage. <laughs> well, the results was God uses to say, I will proclaim liberty, but it'll be for pestilence, famine, and, uh, you know, war. You know, and of course, the end result of this is that Zedekiah, you know, uh, is eventually uh, 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 taken off uh, into captivity, and uh, and Israel falls. I mean, J- Jerusalem falls, and the uh, you know the temple's destroyed. All of the things that go along with that, you know. Now, you know, in all of this stuff, you've got um, the idea that. And, and, and we, we really need to look at this one day, too, because it's fascinating. Is there, there are the last four kings of Judah, you know, with uh, Jericoan, Jeconi, and, uh, and there's a curse. You heard about this, right? There's a curse that's placed on the line. And he said, there be, you shall be childless and no... No uh, uh, descendant or, uh, will sit upon the throne, okay? And so that's the line of Judah, right? 
And then if you, if you look at this, and once again, we go into this stuff and we don't, we, we think, well, it's just, you know, why is it there? And you look at the, the, the genealogies that are given to you in the New Testament, that one genealogy is going to be of Joseph, and the other one's going to be of Mary, right? And when you go through uh, the, going back to here, the kings were to come through the line of Solomon. And I might not have the right wording in how it, it also phrases it. But if you go back and you look at the line of Joseph, Joseph comes through Solomon. In other words, and you'll see these names. And you'll end up with uh, uh, Shatil and Zerubbabel. They never were kings. They were governors over them, but they were in the same line, right? And so technically, if Joseph was the father of Jesus, then technically he can't be. He's a false messiah. Because he said there would never be a child from that line that line that would sit upon the throne and you can check his genealogy out but if you go to Mary Mary goes through Eli and she goes back through David but she goes through Nathan which is David's son and the line comes through there and so he is a descendant of David and it really is showing you how the curse, in a sense, that was placed upon the line of Judah actually is circumvented by none other than a virgin birth, which, you know, people say, well, well you know, it's not a virgin birth. But it, it, he couldn't be the father. You know, our, he, he disqualified him for that. And it's really interesting that, you know, uh, when you when you look at uh, what happened in the entering the promised land back in the time of Moses, where's the first place they when they go to enter the promised land? What's the first city they encounter? Huh? Jericho. And it's interesting that when you read the story of Jesus before he goes to Bethany, where was he? He was in Jericho. And see, I don't think none of that stuff is just, it's not just by chance. There's a, there's a, there's a continuity of concept. Of, he comes to Jericho as if though he's, gonna, he's going into the promised land like they were, right? And yet he goes on to Bethany, which is what? What, what does that mean? House of uh, Bethany. What's that mean? You know, house of, huh? No, Bethlehem is house of bread. House of my people, I think. And so it eventually goes on into Jerusalem and is crucified, okay? But I tell you all of this just because of the fact that there is a lot of stuff happening in here in the very beginning of these genealogies that we never even see, you know, but... We just think, well, they're just genealogies, but how many times have you looked at these genealogies? But you may not even know where they were coming through. But, you know, like, well, why the two genealogies? Because, see, really, and that's why people, when people say, 
well, we're not here during the messianic kingdom. We're in heaven. And I think, well, then who's going to sit on that throne? It tells you there. It tells you there in the beginning of the book that he's going to sit upon the throne of David. And they try to take the concept of the word prince in Ezekiel and various places and eliminate Jesus from being it. You know, they say, well, it's someone that was uh, even Vernon McGee. You know Vernon, right? Vernon McGee. Vernon McGee, you know. Well, he, he can't accept the fact that Jesus would be the prince in Ezekiel 40 through 48 because of the things that take place through those chapters in his concept of what modern Christianity and Christianity as a whole has preached with sacrifices and all of these things, it can't be. How, why would he be there, you know? So he eliminates Jesus is sitting on the throne during the Messianic kingdom, and yet, you know, to me, the whole thing's about Jesus sitting on the throne in the Messianic kingdom. But, you know, I know we went on a long rabbit trail tonight, but the bottom line is we're going to come back and we're going to look next week closer at this story because there is a parallel between what was happening to them in the uh, under Pharaoh and when they actually come to the point where they're 30 days into the wilderness and they what happens after 30 days into the wilderness after they come out they run out of what huh? bread right they run out of bread I guess all their, <laughs> I kind of thought, Lord, they must have had a, a tractor trailer full of bread following them, you know, because 30 days later seemed like a long time to me. But the story of the manna become, becomes a real uh, uh, connecting point between the story of, of, of what was going on in, uh, with Pharaoh. And you just look at it from that. You know, try to parallel You'll get the story of the manna in Exodus 16, and you'll get the story of Pharaoh in Exodus 5. Try to find the parallel and what you can pick out of there before the, um, the manna story and what they were experiencing in Pharaoh with Pharaoh. You know, Remember this, they had a master, Pharaoh, right? And now they have a new master. God. And so look at the two compare and notice this thing. In Ezekiel, I mean in, in Exodus 16, they are going to uh for the first time in scriptures, you're gonna see the word Sabbath used really and introduced technically to you. So the manna and the story of the manna. And to make your life even more fun, you should go and say, well, what do we find out in the New Testament about these things? Because they're there, you know. You, you know, Jesus speaks about these things. But you're going to begin to see that the manna becomes a part of this whole mystery of these counting of these days leading up to Shavuot. You know, and what were the three things that they put into the Ark of the Covenant? Do you remember? The rod. The rod. 
got the manna, the rod, and the tablets, right? Well, that's interesting because, you know, they put the, that in there. You know, what happened to the manna if you kept it and you didn't eat? Yeah, it, it came wormy, right? Well, obviously, uh, <laughs> it didn't in the ark. But there's a tie-in between the manna and what we're talking about with Pharaoh, but also the introduction of this whole idea of six days you shall work, and on the seventh you're going to rest, right? And yet that takes us back, really back to the very beginning, what you said earlier, Ann, that in, in creation it was all began on the sixth day, and on the seventh he rested, right? And I think that's the tragedy of the concept behind people in the, uh, the Sabbath. But, you know, uh, when you do that, you can still then take that little journey further and find the next thing that we encounter with the seven times seven situation. Find that, too, while you're at it. You know, you look at that story, we'll look at that story, and then we're going to look at where's the next time you see this seven times seven thing and how does it relate to, uh, you know, everything that we're doing, right? So I've got to go get my little buddy. I've got James, and uh, he's supposed to be downstairs, so we're going to go ahead and uh, close up. Y'all ready? Yes, sir. All right, Lord, thank you for this day, and... Be with our country, Lord, and our people and all the people of the world that uh, they would seek you, understand what your, your love for them is and that they can put their faith and trust in you and they don't have to do anything but walk in your love through Christ and righteousness and then uh, as they're inspired to continue, they, uh, they look into your word to, to feed upon the goodness that you've given us. And we just ask that you, uh, you know, open our minds to where we can understand more, Lord. We need a double portion of understanding, and we just ask that you uh, do this for us as a, uh, as a free gift. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.